The button pushing stops here. Plug the radio in. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time once again for Evidence for Faith. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program. My name is Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings, guest host for the week. Yep, filling in for Dr. Mike Larrakis, who is away again, but will be back next week. And Kirk is, we might as well mention, is an author and apologist. And Kirk, go ahead and plug your book. So people can look for it online. Yes, my book is called What is Truth? And uh, it is available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and your local Christian bookstore can easily order you a copy. And uh, it's about the evidences, uh, the scientific and historical evidences that support the biblical documents. Great, great. And that is what this show is about is the science that's out there that supports Christianity and provides a basis for the views that we hold as Christians. And we'll be looking today at how those views impact economics and the wealth of nations. How is it that some countries are very wealthy and some countries are poor? And does it have anything to do with the principles and ideas that come from the biblical Christian worldview. We're going to take a look at that today. If you're interested in talking with us, you can call us at 609-398-1020. Check us out online at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence, the number four, faith.com. And you can email us there, too, if you'd like to email us during the show. We we have uh, our email line open, and you can talk to us that way. In fact, maybe we'll start out with an email question that I received. Uh, Kirk, you can help me answer this question. The question was, why would a just God have allowed the German Holocaust? Why would a just God have allowed the German Holocaust? And we have talked about this issue in the past, not specifically the German Holocaust, but we have talked about the concept of pain and suffering, and is that an argument that God doesn't exist because there's so much pain and suffering? And if God does exist, then why does he allow these kinds of things to happen to people? Well, my first response would be, uh, a related question would be to ask, why does God allow free will? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Okay, God is a just God, But he's also given us a free will to make our own decisions, right and wrong. So why would he create us with that ability and then constantly take it away from us every time we want to do something wrong? Okay. That would kind of be contradicting himself, wouldn't it? All right. It's like, if you're going to give this to us, then let us use it. All right. So you're saying because people have free will, then that uh, allows them to do harmful things to other people. Right. 
that gives them the ability to choose to do right or to do wrong. And unfortunately, some people choose to do wrong. Okay. Now, if God stepped in every time somebody chose to do wrong and immediately undid it, what's the point of having the choice in the first place? Well, what is the point? Why, there why is, is it there so, wouldn't be a point. Why is it so important for God to have creatures who have free will? Because then you are free to choose to do good, which is what God wants. Ah, very good. I like that answer. That is exactly the kind of answer we've given in past shows. And of course, the other side of the coin is, yes, you have the free will to do right or wrong, but just be aware of the fact that God is also our judge, and we will answer for what we do. Okay. You know, so you that, need to keep that in mind, too. Well, I like, uh, I wrote down a verse that I like because I think it's in uh, it's good. Did you know that Jesus was asked a similar question? Uh, he, I'm sure he was probably asked almost yeah. every question there is. Yeah, Luke 13, verse 1 through 5. It says, Now there were some present at that time that told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So apparently Pilate had gone to the temple and slaughtered a bunch of Galileans right there at the altar of God. So the question is, how could God have allowed this? Maybe these people, these Galileans, were actually evil sinners. Okay, and then Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So essentially, you could switch that for the Holocaust. Do you think that the Jews were worse sinners because they suffered this way? No. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish. Or those 18, then he talks about another, a natural disaster this time. Those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. I was just going to mention that one. That's right. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all perish. Mm -hmm. So he's basically saying uh, bad things happen to people, but there's a way out. Right. That's repentance. I'm also reminded of the blind man that uh, someone asked Peter, I believe, you know, who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents? And Peter said neither, that there's right. no connection between the two. Right. So, you know, there's three examples right there where God says, you know, it doesn't work that way. Right. So it's not punishment for being bad that bad things happen to you. Pa- bad things happen to good people, too. And it's all part of this free will is creating something better, creating the kinds of creatures that can freely choose to worship God, to love him, to be in relationship to him, right. so that Jesus can be the firstborn of many brothers. Right. And we're not all robots. We can... Exactly. He's got plenty of angels already. He's got plenty of robots. They're called angels. <laughs> you know? I guess. Yeah. They, they worship him all day long. He's got enough of those. All right. Uh, Well, that was an email from one of our listeners. If you would like to email us, you can contact us through evidenceforfaith.com. Okay. um, We have some news items. Let's do that before we get into our talk today about uh, Christian economic ideas. Um, Kirk, go ahead and give us that first one. Okay, we have one here. This is a really interesting uh, headline here. It says, Tetrapod Footprint Discovery Bus Evolutionary Thinking. Ah. My first question was, what's a tetrapod? Okay. <laughs> Stay tuned, and I'll tell you. 
It says here, the latest discovery of fossilized footprints made by four-legged vertebrates, that's animals with a solid backbone, backbone, overthrows the evolutionary model for how land animals first emerged, says a biochemist. This is a huge discovery, he said. It's another example of supposedly a well-established evolutionary story that has presumable fossil evidence to support it that is now blown out of the water by a single find. Yeah. Basically, what they're saying here is they have found a fossil of a four-legged vertebrate animal similar to a crocodile that dates from before animals were supposed to be walking around on land. Exactly. So it's upsetting the whole evolutionary story that they generally tell us of how, you know, the fish developed limbs and walked out onto the land and became an amphibian and whatever and whatever and whatever. This throws the whole timetable into the trash heap. Right. And this seems to happen uh, fairly regularly. It's it's uh, yes, not it that unusual that we get these finds and it it's all completely out of order. You don't generally hear about it on the network TV news because they don't like to report this kind of stuff. But if you search for news items like this on the Internet, you'll find an incredible number of them right. that are happening every day. Right. Very good. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's terrific. Very good. And now you item. know what a tetrapod is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learn something new on this radio program every day week. It's like Bill O'Reilly has a new word every night. Oh, does he? Yeah, he has a new word to learn. Well, now you know. There you go. That's our that's We our should new start word. doing that. Yeah. Tetrapod is our word new for the week. Word for the week. Okay. Now, there's another news item. This one's out of Los, uh, Los Angeles. It's about a California science center. The headline says, is sued for canceling a film promoting intelligent design. There you go. More backlash against intelligent design. Now, the reason they're getting sued is because this uh, institute, uh, the Discovery Institute, rented out this public building that's paid for with public funds. And this building has a policy that they must take anyone, anyone can present a film as long as they can pay the fee for the film uh, to show that, to rent the theater. And it's like Mm -hmm. $16,000. Then, you know, because of equal access, that kind of thing and it's federal money, then they have to allow them to show whatever film they want. Sure. Uh, Well, guess what? Unless you're going to do a documentary that shows evidence that Charles Darwin was wrong, then you can't. And they were actually going to show two films. They were going to show one documentary that was pro-Darwin, and the second documentary was anti-Darwin, it showed the evidence against evolution, and that's the whole problem. You so can't they were going to present both sides? They were going to present both sides, and because of, uh, of harassment by scientists, uh, the center decided not to show, and not to show, not to allow this company, they gave them their money back and said, you can't show the film. Well, that's against their charter. So now they're being sued, and hopefully this will go through, and the and uh, they will be forced to show this. But just you know, the point of this news item is that there's a lot of pressure against any kind of evidence that shows that intelligent design is true and that ev- mm-hmm. evolution is false—the kind of undesigned evolution. Um, so that's what scientists have to put up with. And if you stick your head up and say, hey, in my field, I've discovered evidence for intelligent design, your head will get knocked down. Yeah. So much for freedom of opinion or whatever. Exactly. 
the tolerant or intolerant once more. It seems like it. It does. It does indeed. Well, you've got another. This is a really exciting one. I like this news item. Yes, we have a breakthrough in the research of the Hebrew Scriptures has shed new light on the period in which the Bible was written, it says here. It says, by decoding the inscription on a 3,000-year-old piece of pottery, an Israeli professor has concluded that parts of the Bible were written hundreds of years earlier than suspected. Well, surprise, surprise. The pottery shard that they discovered uh, near the Elah Valley in Israel, which is about 18 miles west of Jerusalem, they carbon dated it and placed it about the 10th century B.C., making the shard about 1,000 years older than the Dead Sea Scrolls. Cool. Now, this is some kind of a, uh, as I understand it, it has some kind of a Bible verse inscription Yeah, actually, um, there's a whole um, section where uh, in that article where it tells you exactly what it says. So you, you can read that if you like. Um, the... The uh, it doesn't seem to be that it's an exact quote of a Bible verse, but it seems to reflect. It's relating to it. Yeah, it reflects a biblical biblical ideas, and ones that are not part of the general uh, culture outside of Israel. Right. It says here that the English translation. I won't read all of it because it's kind of long. But it starts out and it says, "You shall not do it, but worship the Lord. Judge the slave and the widow. Judge the orphan and the stranger. Plead for the infant. Plead for the." Uh, poor and the widow, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And apparently it relates to something, uh, verses in Psalms and Exodus. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, some areas in the Bible where this kind of uh, um, discussion goes on about caring for the widows and the poor and stuff. So it it uh, definitely matches biblical uh, milieu concept, and uh, it has the the interesting thing is that the critics of the Bible— say that the Bible wasn't written until the Israelites had been taken into captivity in Babylon. So you're talking 6th century. Much later. Yeah. yeah. And one of the reasons they do this is because of all the prophecy. You know, if you have the Bible being written uh, in 1000 B.C., such as this piece of, uh, of pottery, um, now you've got real problems because there's so much prophecy that happened after 1000 BC before the Babylonian captivity. So they definitely want the Bible to have been written later. That gets rid of a lot of the prophecy problems. And uh, that's like me saying today that John F. Kennedy is going to be assassinated in 1963. Exactly. They would say, well, big deal. You're saying this in 2010. So what? But if I had said that in 1960, then it would be a big deal. Exactly right. Yep. So, um, and it says here, this inscription is the earliest example of Hebrew writing found, and it was not believed before that the Bible or parts of it could have been written this long ago. Right. So, um, yeah, it just didn't fit their theories. Uh, even though we know, what's interesting is that we know that, you know, the Bible says that Moses wrote things down, mm-hmm. you know, which was even long. This, this uh, pottery, piece of pottery, comes from the time of King David. Um, and which was well after the time of Moses. But we know that all the surrounding communities uh, had writing. Egyptians had writing. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, Ebla tablets were found uh, nearby, uh, thousands of, of uh, ancient tablets that describe the uh, biblical scenario of Abraham 
and there was plenty of writing back mm-hmm. then. So to I remember the old arguments about oh Moses couldn't have written the first five books of the Bible because they didn't have writing back then. Yeah, and, that's, and now they've pushed that date for when writing came in like way way before Moses. Exactly, time. exactly right. So here's another uh, nail in the coffin of the critics uh, of the Old Testament. These guys never learn, do they? No, they don't. No, they don't. They should listen to this show and get well informed. (laughs) Well, we hope they do. And if they do and they want to come on, they can uh, call us and we will debate them. Let's call Richard Dawkins and see if we can get him on. I know. He doesn't debate. Uh, He doesn't debate. I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, If you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. I'm Kirk Hastings, guest host for the week. And you can join us at 609-398-1020. Kirk, one more thing before we get into our topic for today. I found, I was uh, studying uh, some journal articles about um, some of the ideas that uh, creationist scientists have come across. And this was a work by a biologist discussing about the symbiotic relationship between orchids and bacteria. But the interesting part, I thought, was the he gives a, a paragraph to begin his paper where he reviews about the past 30 years and the kinds of discoveries that creationist scientists have made uh, over the past 30 years. And it's, mm-hmm. I thought it was a good uh, analysis, a good synopsis of what's been happening because, you know, uh, every field advances. I know in my own work, um, it's just amazing what they do in the medical realm with mm-hmm. electronics now. Just everything is booming. And if you study even things like uh, philosophy, uh, you'd think, well, that philosophy hasn't changed for hundreds of years. But actually it does. It's mm-hmm. it's changed um, rapidly over the past few decades. And you have to keep up on all this stuff. And this is one that, that uh, really few people know is the many advances that they've made uh, – in creationist science. So let me just read this paragraph here. This is, uh, he opens up talking about the neo-Darwinian model with its random naturalistic presuppositions has dominated the science arena for a century and a half. In contrast, the recently developed modern creation model is in its relative infancy, although belief in creation is ancient. Mm -hmm. And only certain aspects are now being rigorously researched. Examples include, and here he, gives, here he gives this list of progress that they've made, the research in creationist geology and paleontology showing evidence of a worldwide catastrophic flood and its applications for the reinterpretation of both timescales and mechanisms that produce various geologic features. Creation physicists are making great strides in predicting mechanisms and strengths of planetary and cosmic magnetic fields Hmm. while exploring radiometric dating techniques consistent with young Earth predictions. Certain biologists have not only falsified the neo-Darwinian contention that mutations plus natural selection can generate the world's biodiversity from random events, but also have shown that evolutionary genetic theory fatally flawed and effectively falsified by numerical simulation. And there they're talking about uh, a computer program um, called Mendel's Accountant, uh, where you can run 
evolutionary scenarios with changing any factor that you want, and the populations all die out. Nothing gets better. Nothing improves. Hmm. Information is continually lost from the genetic uh, genome, the DNA. Right. And uh, so... I've heard that uh, recently. I've heard a couple of statements to the effect that they've discovered that DNA, you know, has this huge amount of information in your DNA that makes you what you are. Right. And that there is no known mechanism that can add more information to that DNA. Right. It's Which means you can't evolve into something better because where does the information come from to make you better? And in fact, what's happening is that as copies are made, more and more errors keep getting, right. creeping in. So it's like... Uh, copying a tape, you know, in the old days, uh, before there was digital recording, we had right. tape recorders, and if you copied a tape and then copied it again and copied mm-hmm. it again... It gets worse with each copy. Exactly right. Because it's losing something each time. Each time it loses a little bit of information. Yep, that and, makes sense. Yep. Uh, we had a uh, genetic scientist on the show uh, last year who told us that about every generation, about 100, at least 100 to 600 new mutations are added to every generation. Hmm. And that's that noise that keeps building up. And how many of these mutations are helpful? Uh, none of them are helpful. Most none of, of them. them. Most of them are neutral. Right. And some of them, of course, are harmful. Are harmful. Yep. But none of them are an improvement. Exactly. Exactly right. All right. Um Okay, I guess we're ready. Oh, you know, there was one other thing I mentioned um, to you before the start of the show that I thought was interesting, and that's another archaeological uh, find that they found. The Israel Antiquities Authority has uncovered a first-century synagogue by the Sea of Galilee near the city of Migdal, and that's the city that uh, Mary Magdalene came from. Hmm. So this is, uh, you know, another find. We just recently had that house from Nazareth and right. and the uh, few years back the boat the first century boat from the Sea of Galilee yeah and now we've got the synagogue so isn't it interesting how all this first century stuff is showing up all of a sudden it's fascinating <laughs> yeah very cool and uh, adding to our knowledge of the scriptures and showing that it was written at the time okay you are listening to evidence for faith. This is the show where we help Christians become thinkers, and thinkers become Christians. My name is Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we want you to think about something now for a little while. We're going to start talking about some of the uh, biblical concepts and principles that lead one nation to become rich, and if ignored, lead other nations to be poor. Now, we introed this a little bit last week, and I think we'll probably have to intro this some for the people today. This comes from Professor Wayne Grudem. Now, he is a theologian of the first rank. Uh, He has written a systematic uh, theology that is required reading at a lot of seminaries. A very knowledgeable man who has been concerned about the poor. And, you know, the Bible tells us to Uh, to be concerned about the poor. Galatians 2.10 talks about remembering the poor. Luke 4.18 says that the good news would be for the poor. So something about Christianity is going to help the poor. Mm -hmm. And 
Wayne has been studying what things, what principles help countries to become wealthy because the biggest thing that affects a person as to whether they're rich or poor is what nation are you born into. Hmm. So, for instance, if you're born in the United States, even if you're poor in the United States, you're already richer by far than most people in the world. Wow. And if you are born, let's say, in the middle of Africa, the chances of you being, even if you're rich compared to other people in the middle of Africa, you're still very, very poor. Hmm. So the... Um, so Wayne had this desire to um, help nations figure out what was causing some countries to be poor and what was helping other countries to be rich. Hmm. And a lot of his work is based on a Harvard professor by the name of David Landis, who wrote a book in 1999 called The Wealth and Poverty of Nations, Why Some Are So Rich and Some So Poor. And so Dr. Grudem has been expanding on this work, but this original work, uh, Dr. Landis is Professor Emeritus of Economics at Harvard and also taught at George Washington University. And this book that he wrote is a survey of the history of economic development in the entire world, region by region, for the past 500 years. Hmm. So he looks very carefully all over the world at what kinds of things led to countries becoming rich or being poor. And you know, it's really only a, a recent phenomenon that some countries have been richer than others. In the past, um, a rich nation was really not much richer than a poor nation you know, prior I, to the I Middle Ages. I see with your notes here, this is really interesting. It says here that until 1550 AD, uh, there was almost no economic growth for centuries, meaning what that means is is that most company or countries were basically on the same level economically. It's only within the past few hundred years that we've seen some countries get much richer, like the United States, right. and other countries get much poorer. Right. So, so what is the reason for that? Well, the, the it all started with the Protestant Reformation. So once you had the Reformation, you had the Protestant work ethic, and you had a return to the Bible as an authority mm -hmm. above the church. Right. So you have um, uh, people being guided and believing that work um, was a valuable thing. Mm -hmm. An honorable thing. An honorable thing. That's something that God wanted us to do. Mm -hmm. And that really... Uh, started the explosion till now, the difference between a wealthy nation and a poor nation is about 400 to 1, whereas wow. it was about 2 to 1, and slowly through the years, like after 1750, the ratio of income for rich versus poor nation was 5 to 1. Now it is 400 to 1. Wow. So we and need I'm to, assuming the United States is probably at the top of that scale. Yes, it is. Uh, the United States, Japan, um, Germany, even right. But um, so let's start talking about some of these, some of these issues and and what makes a, the difference. Well, the first one is a, a belief in God. Now, let's um, before we go totally into it, let's break this into. There's three groups. There's cultural beliefs, 
There's governmental policies, and then there's economic policies. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's three groups. So let's look at the cultural beliefs first, and that's the the first one is uh, belief in God. And well, all of these things tend to be interlocking. Am I correct? Yeah, in they're that? That they're one related. One affects the others. Uh, one can affect the others, but also you don't have to have all of them. So oh, okay. and, and it's the kind of thing where the more of them you have, the wealthier the nation tends to be, and right. the fewer of them they have, um, the poorer okay. they tend to be. So, for example, um, belief that there is a god. Well, let's take Japan as an example. Now, Japan is primarily a Buddhist uh, country and don't believe in God. Right. Buddhism is ancestor worship. They don't believe that there is a God. Right. And so this would be an exception to that. But they have many, many other uh, of these. But they do have principles. a strong work e- ethic. Yes, they do. So. Um, so even though they're not following all of the precepts that you're saying here, they follow some of them. Exactly. Which is why which makes them wealthy. Okay. Right. So that's where we're going with this. So, let's, so they're doing some things right, even though they may not realize that this is something the Bible says is the way to do it. Right. They're doing it, and it still works. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So because it's true. Right. And and it's also this this very important for us in the United States because as we go through some of these, you'll see that we're starting to let these things slide. Mm-hmm. We're starting to uh, think that the opposite is true, which means that we are headed towards poverty as a nation. We will not be uh, as wealthy as we have been in the past as long as we start to let these principles uh, and precepts slide. Well, you can see that if you just read the daily newspaper every day and see how much our debt is climbing by the day. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're spending money we don't have. Now, yeah, we're doing, that's obviously not a smart thing to do. We're doing something wrong. So let's see if we can find uh, you know, where in these principles we are uh, doing something wrong. So uh, the second one, then, is the belief that there is that um, we are morally accountable before God. Okay, for our actions. Okay. So that if you believe that, it leads to things like honesty, care for others, reliability, diligence, care for the quality in your work. Right. Um, so morally accountable before God uh, is a very strong principle of a wealthy nation. Okay. If you believe that there's no ultimate moral accountability, which seems to be where we're headed uh, today, it leads to dishonesty people putting selfishness above the good of others and above the good of the nation, uh, breeds uh, untrust, untrustworthiness, unreliability, laziness, uh, people being careless in their work, uh, even crime, you know, robbery, uh, bribery, um, corruption in government, business, law, universities, the press, even wow. corruption in churches. Doesn't that sound like something from today's newspaper? Yeah, it does. So uh, this is something that will lead to poverty, no ultimate moral accountability. Okay. Uh, Number three is uh, the idea that uh, if society honors and expects truthfulness in keeping one's word, which is kind of related to what you just said, that will lead to economic growth. But on the other hand, if society is filled with lying, deceit, and slander, and little shame attaches to lying and getting away with it, guess what? Your economy is going to go downhill. Exactly. 
Exactly. So those are some beliefs under this cultural values that pertain to a religious belief and moral standards. Now let's look at principles that pertain to beliefs about human nature. Okay, If you believe that there is good and evil in every human heart, like the Bible teaches there is, Mm -hmm. therefore the ultimate reason why people do good or evil things is that they have chosen to do good or evil. Okay, if they've chosen to good to do good or even evil, then it's morally right that people should be rewarded for doing good mm-hmm. and punished for doing good. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they had a choice. If they didn't have a choice, then it makes no sense to reward or punish people based on their choices. Right. What leads to poverty is human beings believing that they are basically good. Therefore, when they do evil things, it's not their fault. It's society's fault. How many times have we heard that? It's those evil influences from society, and it's not primarily the individual person's fault. But what they never tell you when they say that is, who is society? Society is us. Right. We have met the enemy, and he is us. He is us. That's right. It's like a collusion to, you know, you don't tell me I'm doing something wrong, and I won't tell you you're doing something wrong, and we'll all get along that way. It's everybody else in society that's doing it wrong, but I'm not. Yes. (laughs) Everybody else is crazy, but I'm sane. That's right. That's right. Okay, the next one is uh, significant individual responsibility. If you have a society that believes that it's morally right uh, to be honorable and to be rewarded for that or to get blame or punishment for doing wrong, uh, you're going to – that's going to work for you as far as your economy is concerned. Right. Yeah, that's based off that idea of good and evil in every human heart. Right, moral responsibility. Moral responsibility. But if you have a society that uh, doesn't have much in the way of uh, holding individuals responsible for their actions, uh, and listen to some of these. These are, these are like out of the daily newspaper, too. Mm-hmm. Examples are most people view themselves as victims. Jeez, right. where have we heard that before? Yes. Those who succeed are thought to be lucky. They didn't work hard. They're just lucky. Right. Those who fail are seen as victims of bad luck or fate. And those who do evil things are seen as victims of wrongdoing by others or society. And that leads to poverty. Right. There's no incentive there for hard work. It's just what happens to you. It's, it's basically blaming everybody else but not blaming yourself. Right. There's no personal responsibility here. Right. And now another concept that's related to human nature then is the principle of Individual freedom. So if a high value is placed on individual freedom, if individuals can be trusted to make better decisions than anyone else about what's best for them, right, that you give them the freedom to make choices, and that the whole population should be allowed to be free even if a few people are going to make some stupid mistakes. Mm Mm-hmm. That leads to wealth in a country. But if you don't believe that, if you don't believe in individual freedom, what do you get? You get more and more government regulation. So you get regulation of all of life. And this is seen as a good thing, right? 
they see this as a good thing because now we who are superior, we who are the elite, we can control and we can make things better. This would destro- uh, describe a dictatorship. Yeah. As opposed to like a free republic is what we're talking about here. That's right. And and, and even, it doesn't even have to be a dictatorship in the sense of one person. It can be, it's just totalitarianism. Right. It's, you know, the a idea... A group of people that think they're smarter than everyone else, and therefore right. they have to tell them what to do. Yeah, the people, they're, they're thought to be foolish or ignorant. They make wrong choices, so we have to stop them from making wrong choices and hurting themselves. So the whole population has to be minutely regulated so that a few people will not make those stupid mistakes, but we can control them. And mm-hmm. that's where totalitarianism comes in and leads to poverty in a country. That sounds like so many countries today, yeah. like Iran or North Korea or, you know, you could half a dozen other examples. Or even communism, you know, where, you yep. know, in communism, they tell you what kind of job you're going to have. Right. You know, they, we give you a test, and, okay, you're going to work here for the rest of your life, period. Right. That's Whether it. you like it or not. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, you do what we say. We can control you. And whatever you make off this job, you have to share with the government and everyone else. That's right. So where's the incentive for working if you have to give most of it away? That has to do with personal property, and we're going to get to that. That's one of the principles for a wealthy nation. Okay. Okay, here's another one. Uh, if you have a society that... Uh, has no discrimination against others on the basis of race, gender, or religion. Uh, in other words, we're, we're kind of saying some of the same things over and over again here. If you're having personal, if you have a society with personal freedom, right, where you can make choices and take the and consequences of your choices, and yes, everyone's free. Not there, there aren't suppressed. Like if half your half your country is suppressed because they're the wrong color. That does not lead to wealth. Right. Like, for instance, slavery. You right. know, slavery was really, uh, I think, in the end, was a drain on our society e- Absolutely. And economically. Absolutely. Uh, also, you know, political freedom for women as well as men, equal opportunity, in other words, is what they call it today. Mm-hmm. If you have those types of things, then your economy will probably tend to be healthier. Right. But, however, if you have uh, a society that practices discrimination against everyone based on their race or their religion or whether they're male or female or whatever, uh, then you're going to inhibit the uh, opportunities for people to build the economy. Right. And you look at uh, some of the uh, Islamic countries where Christianity, you are a third-class citizen. If mm-hmm. you are a Christian, you can you are relegated to jobs like picking up the trash, mm-hmm. being servants. Uh, you know, there's a whole uh, slum in Cairo where the Christians live, and that's where all the trash from the city goes to be dumped, and it's sorted through. Yeah, I've heard that by the Christians. And because, a lot of these people spend a lot of their time picking through the trash to get things. Out yeah. of it that they don't have, right? Yeah, because that's it's all that like a ghetto yeah, type you, situation. Yeah, like, they're not going to be permitted to say start a business, right? You know, make things better and contribute to the economy, right? They just end up being a drag on the economy. Exactly. All right, let's look at some of the principles. Um, now, these are cultural beliefs. Now, let's turn to cultural beliefs about the earth. What kinds of beliefs about the earth affect? Uh, wealth or poverty in a country. 
Well, for one thing, belief that human beings are more important than other living creatures, okay, that, uh, that a man is meant to be over the earth, using it wisely for the good of this generation and future generations of mankind, belief that economic development generally demonstrates the excellence of the earth, that the earth was designed for man, belief that because of human creativity and ingenuity in developing substitutes for resources, that the earth's resources will never be exhausted. We will never run out Mm -hmm. because we will always find better ways and more efficient ways of using the earth's resources. Mm -hmm. That leads to uh, a wealthy nation. Poor nations believe that the earth is more important than human beings, or they believe that all living things are equally as important as human beings. So this, this is a belief that human beings should act as servants of the earth, that the earth is more important. They believe that uh, nearly all human economic development brings harm to the earth. And this they, sounds like nature worship. Yeah, exactly. The belief that in general man is the enemy of the earth, and because of human activity, many resources will be soon exhausted, hmm. like oil. Right. So, uh, And this leads to the poverty of a nation, because they now are no longer permitted. The totalitarians get in control and will not permit the resources to be utilized for the benefit of everyone. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine how much wealthier we would be if gasoline was back down to, say, 60 cents a gallon. Right. Uh, Then businesses would thrive. Transportation would boom. and It would cost much less to transport food and all kinds of things. Therefore, the prices of those things would go down, and it would have a a domino effect on the economy. Poor people would suddenly have more money at the end of the month. Right. Because everything would cost less. Wow. Let's start a movement to uh, take gas back to 60 cents a gallon. That's, we are. It's called the Christian worldview. I don't want to give away my age, but I actually remember when gas was 32 cents a gallon. Yeah, I I don't think it was that long ago either. (laughs) You were were little then. Yeah, I was very little. All right. If you're just joining us, just tuning in, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, this is the Christian Evidences and Worldview Radio Show. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Kirk Hastings. And we are talking about the kinds of ideas, concepts, and precepts that help nations become wealthy or cause them to be poor. Right. We should also point out, too, that each one of these examples that we've given so far of what helps an economy to grow yes. are precepts and ideas that are found in the Bible. Exactly right. The moral responsibility and the moral ideas and such that we're talking about here that help an economy to grow are all taught in the Bible. Yep, that is exactly right. You got another one for us, uh, Kirk? Yeah, the next next example here is uh, if you have a uh, country where honor is given to developing the Earth's resources wisely for the benefit of mankind, not just for yourself, in right. other words. Then you are held in honor. Yes, and this leads helps to lead to a healthy economy. However, the opposite to this is, if more honor is given to preservation of the Earth's resources in their natural, untouched state, in other words, don't mess with the resources because that'll hurt the Earth. Right. Then your economy is going to go downhill Mm -hmm. because you're not using 
the resources available that God has made available to you. You want to preserve them just the way they are. Now, there's an opposite uh, view also that's equally just as bad. Yes, that would be indifference to destructive exploitation of the Earth's resources for immediate gain with no thought for future generations. Okay, and that's obviously damaging to a country if, you know, let's say, okay, well, we need wood, so let's just clear-cut all the forests and not replant anything. Right. Obviously, that's going to be bad. and You're going to end up paying for that down the road. Exactly. So that's not the kind of uh, development of Earth's resources that we're talking about. No. All right, another belief about, another uh, cultural belief about the Earth is the belief that the Earth is orderly and therefore subject to rational investigation. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of thing that leads to scientific investigation, but also leads to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. You know, it leads to the um, garage or basement scientist mm-hmm. inventing things and then right. starting his own business. Right. From the product that he's invented, because he believes he can figure this thing out. You know, he can create a new mousetrap because things make sense. It encourages ingenuity and innovation. That's right. And if you believe that the Earth is subject to unpredictable fate or invisible spirits, such as many people do in Africa— Or luck. (laughs) Right. then, Then things are kind of unknowable. You right. know, uh, you know, an African is not going to sit down. An African who believes in uh, evil spirits and everything is controlled mm-hmm. by evil spirits, and try to figure out how to make a new mousetrap because uh, that's not how things work. You can't figure those things out. They're unexplainable. Right. They're caused by, um, you know, bad luck. And the evil spirits will just keep you from success anyway. So why bother? They're exactly right. Amazing. Okay, another example would be uh, of a. Uh, A healthy economy is a belief that the earth is—oh, that's—let me skip to the next one. I'm repeating yours. Uh, The world is primarily viewed as a place of opportunity. Well, really, that is related to what you just said. Yeah. Economic development is primarily viewed with joy and moral approval. Right. That's a good thing. You're encouraged to uh, use your ingenuity to innovate things. Right. Right not suppressed from it. Right. Of course, the opposite point of view would be that the world is primarily viewed as a place of danger. Therefore, economic development is primarily viewed with fear and moral condemnation. Such as, for instance, um, they some people don't want us to build more factories to manufacture things that people can use because the emissions from the factories will harm the environment and or, the air, therefore, we don't want you to do that. Or how about the fear over nuclear reactors? Right. You know, oh, no, we can't do that because they're going to, if it something goes wrong, it'll melt and go down to China, right? <laughs> the China syndrome. Yeah. Now, I understand that that movie had a lot to do with it creating did. that fear, too, the Absolutely. China syndrome. Absolutely. After did. that movie came out, a lot more people were against nuclear power. Oh because of that. It just shows how much influence Hollywood can have for good or ill. Yep. So fear is definitely not good for economic development. No. Okay, now what kind of cultural beliefs uh, about time and change? Okay, if time is viewed as linear, okay, in other words, history moving from a beginning to a a future culmination, then there's hope that uh, individual lives and even entire nations can progress, can, can make mm-hmm. progress, can change and be made better. 
Um, and that leads to nations being more wealthy. If in countries where they believe that time is circular, it's repetitive, um, you know, kind of uh, Indian uh, mysticism uh, about time being circular, everything comes back to its original, then you never mm -hmm. can make any progress. So there's right. no hope that life in general can ever be better. You're always stuck in the caste system, for instance. Things are always going to get bad again eventually anyway, so why worry about it right. type of thing. Right. Okay. Uh, another one. Uh, time is viewed as a valuable resource to be used wisely in a wealthy, in a, in a wealthy nation. Right. Um, that means you don't laziness and wasting time and all that is not looked upon with approval. Uh, and, of course, the other point of view on that is that time is not valued, but it's something to be endured or used for seeking immediate pleasure. Right. What right. this is saying is, if uh, on the one hand, if you have a bunch of people that are working all the time, you're probably going to have a pretty healthy economy. Conversely, if you have a bunch of people on the other side that are watching TV all day, I don't think your economy is going to make out too well. Right, right. All right, now in the interest of time, let's jump ahead a little bit to um, the cultural belief that deals with work. All right. Um, now, we already talked about this because this was talked about the Protestant work ethic and what a difference it made to the world to, you know, for literally— Millions, even billions of poor people are now much better off than they ever would have been because of the wealth that was created, simply because honor was given to productive work. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, countries that do not honor work, uh, it, and again, we're talking mainly things like uh, much of Hinduism, it, you know, work is kind of your bad karma. You know, right. If you have to work hard, that's because of your bad past life. You're being punished for something You're you did wrong. You're being punished, <laughs> exactly. Um, so hard work is not looked at as something good, and that leads to poverty. Right. Let's uh, jump ahead to uh, cultural beliefs that are about economic productivity. Okay. In a wealthy nation, the society that gives honor to careers that produce goods and services that have economic value is going to tend to succeed. Whereas the society that places little or no value on careers that create and produce goods and services, um, that society gives honor to those who get something for nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many times do you see that about, you know, the lottery? You know, who right. won the lottery exactly today? And right. Everybody, you know, when the lottery goes, when the winning amount goes up beyond, you know, $20 million or whatever, it, it really amuses me the way everybody rushes a ticket yeah. because they think, oh, now it's 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 all this money. I gotta I'm I'm gonna win this. But the more people that go out and buy tickets, the lesser the chance that you're going to win. Right. So it, it, it's like less... a vicious downward cycle. Oh, right. it, you know, and there's only one person if if there is a winner that's gonna get this and that means the fifty million other people that bought the tickets spent their money for nothing. Yep. And wasted it. And wasted uh, it. You know, I'll never forget um when I was working as a nurse in the radiology department years ago, I saw a family come through. The mother was getting a chest X ray and she had her two little children with her and they were obviously very poor. Mm. Uh, the children were in a dirty, ragged clothes um, hmm. The you know little boy had tennis shoes on with ripped soles, you know, so he was almost walking barefoot. Hmm. And while they were there, 
apparently the husband had been with them and had gone out and was coming back. And when he came back, the children were so excited. Now, these are little children, mm-hmm. you know, maybe five, six years old. They're jumping up and down with joy. And, you know, of course, I, that was interesting. You know, I'm paying attention to see what is it that they're so excited about. And dad has come back, and I can he almost see this coming. <laughs> also, looks very poor himself. You uh-huh. know, torn jeans and you know, uh, old stained sweatshirt and things. And he right. pulls out of his pocket and he he unfolds this long string of lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, it had yep. to have been probably thirty dollars worth yep. of lottery tickets. Now, how many kids' shoes do you think you could have bought? Or food? Right. Yeah. That, 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 that's kind of... That's the thinking. Rips your heart out, doesn't it? it when does. you see things like that and you think, that, you know, this guy has just taken food and stuff out of his kid's mouth to buy these lottery tickets, which are most probably going to be worthless. Right. Exactly. It's such a shame that yep. people are suckered into believing they can get rich quick like that. And that's the, uh, that's the things that, kinds of things that lead to poverty. Well, here's another one. This is view of government. People think that if in a wealthy nation, people think that the purpose of government is to benefit the people as a whole by restraining evil and promoting good. Mm -hmm. In poor countries, people think that the purpose of government is to benefit those in power or that the purpose of the government is to conquer other nations in order to impose, say, a religion on them or to plunder their wealth or to get revenge. Mm -hmm. So... If you want to have a wealthy nation, it's important that people understand that the purpose of government is to benefit the people as a whole. Mm-hmm. Not just certain groups. Right. Over others. Yep. Now let's jump ahead to some of the governmental policies that um, that uh, make one nation rich or poor. Okay. Uh, in a wealthy nation, government power is generally limited and significant individual freedom is protected. Exactly right. Which sounds like this country 30 years ago. Right. <laughs> However, if government controls most or all aspects of life, that tends to hurt the economy. And leads to poverty. Yep. Exactly right. All right. How too about— Too much regulation. Too much regulation is bad for the economy. How about uh, governmental policies about the rule of law? Okay, wealthy nations support the concept that of equality before the law. All people in the nation are equally accountable before the law. And now this encourages things like investment of money and and time. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know you're going to be treated fairly, Mm -hmm. you're willing to do great things. Right. To do big, take on big projects. Mm -hmm. But if a few people are above the law or can violate it without being punished, then there's no—this really harms the economy, makes the nation poor. Yeah. And, and again, I know a little bit about Cairo because I have a good friend who's from Cairo. And if you start a business in Cairo, let's say you start a shoe-selling business, and you start to outperform the other shoe uh, businesses in Cairo, mm-hmm. guess what? Do you know what they can do? They can go to the government and create a law specifically for you, for your store, that your store either gets a special tax or will not be have its business license renewed, and you're out of business. <laughs> so it's governmental favoritism that some people are above the law and others are controlled by the law, mm-hmm. and that leads to poverty. 
All right, how about, um, let's see, do we have time to do some economic policies? Let's take a look at a few economic policies that, that make a difference. Here is probably the number one, we saved the best for last, the number one item in this list of what makes countries rich or poor, and that is the ownership of private property. Hmm. If you have this, this is one of the best things that any country can have. It's an incentive. Yes. It's a great incentive. And it has to be widely dispersed throughout the society. It can't be just certain people can own property. Yeah. Also, it has to be that um, property uh, can be um, documented. <coughs> documented ownership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ownership of private property is either prohibited under communism or limited to a very small group, which is called feudalism, <coughs> which is very destructive to economies. Is the opposite of this idea. Well, we hope this has helped you today. <coughs> You've been listening to Evidence for Faith. Join us again next week. <laughs>